Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, good morning and welcome to Crosslink uh, from me as well. I'm so glad that you are here in this room on this rainy day as well as joining us online. Uh, It is a privilege uh, to share uh, God's word with you and I'm grateful uh, for that opportunity. Uh, from from Pastor Matthew uh, as we talked and prayed about uh, what uh, what today and even the coming weeks uh, would look like. Um, as I get started here, uh, th- this may uh, be a strange uh, distraction, but can I just point out that amazing sermon graphic that just went off the screen? Um, Pastor Josh uh, did an amazing job on that. I'm thankful for his uh, talent and his ministry. When he showed that to me earlier this week, there it is, I got more excited uh, uh, to preach uh, the, the message today because I just think it's cool. All throughout the summer, uh, as you heard Pastor Matthew you know, um, briefly mention and remind us, uh, we have made mention here or there. Every Sunday, we've been talking about you know, what God is doing during this season of, of life that normally accompanies uh, our, our summertime. We see vacations and breaks from the normal flow of the fall and, and even the spring season of ministry. We, we have a lot going on, uh, and great ministry uh, has continued uh, to take place despite the, the various uh, times off and, and vacations. And I hope that uh, you'll come out uh, this evening uh, to, to reflect and celebrate and hear the testimonies and hear uh, of the various uh, ways in which God has furthered uh, his work uh, through those various ministry opportunities. Uh, and so I hope you come back out uh, this evening uh, to participate in that. We've made such an emphasis on this season uh, because your leadership feels that, uh, that there's a pressing sense, a pressing sense that God is positioning and preparing us uh, for something greater. He is preparing his church for something new and, and even critical, which lies before us. In discussion with Pastor Matthew uh, and our leadership team, I have uh, I've used the imagery of kind of standing on a precipice, uh, looking out, um, waiting for the, the clouds uh, to part to see uh, what God has before us. That's the sense of anticipation and an expectation uh, that, that your leadership has. Ever since the beginning of the year, as we just uh, saw, uh, God has been doing uh, a work kind of in and behind the scenes. We shared uh, that what God was doing by a church uh, that was dissolving, joining with us and, and merging with Crosslink so that we could uh, do more work together. And you just heard the way that God is furthering that through uh, the, the ministry and the addition to the team of, of Pastor Rob and Pastor Mark and, and the direction towards uh, church planting uh, that, that God has burdened uh, Crosslink with. Today, we're experiencing uh, another change. Uh, another change is we have begun a new service schedule. Uh, to most of us, change is uncomfortable, right? Or rather, it's the transition that change brings, Some of you were were late, Uh, a lot of you were early, which uh, proud of you for that. Or by looking around the room, some of you are are too close and and things are are uncomfortable, especially if you're here from the the eight o'clock service that we've been having, you had lots of space. Uh, And so there's, there's change that brings challenge sometimes. 
Today, we also launch our ministry investment strategy for the next fiscal year. Directly after the second service, a team of 60-ish people from across every ministry area at Crosslink will meet after church for a lunch meeting to begin to launch this process that we go through out the fall. And next Sunday, we have Group Link. If you are not yet connected, uh, there's a change opportunity for you. There's an opportunity for you to change and get connected uh, with those in community uh, here at Crosslink and the various discipleship ministry opportunities that we have. Children's ministry, student ministry, fall seasons of, of, of their ministry resume uh, very soon, and school restarts uh, this week or already has for Augusta County, and, and freshmen moved into to JMU uh, this past uh, uh, few days. If you were uh, unaware of that and wondering where all the traffic came from, that's a reminder uh, as to why they're here, and we're glad that they are. People are returning from vacation mode back into vocation mode and the schedule of the fall season begins. It is a natural season of change and relaunch. With all of this, uh, we, should, uh, we are not called to just you know, go through the, the rapids, to go through the flow of, of all these things, to endure the, the busyness of the schedule or succumb to the stress of the schedule. God has called us to greater things. God has called us to greater things and the work of the mission and ministry uh, that he has given to us. John 14, verse 12 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus works and intercedes on our behalf so that we might accomplish these great works that he has for us to do greater things than we now know. This verse speaks to an important theme for us, God's ability and our responsibility. God's ability and our responsibility. What is the greatest thing that we have responsibility for as believers in Jesus Christ? It is the gospel, to steward the gospel message, to share the gospel. The greater things that God has in store for us involve us accepting that responsibility to share with others about his great ability. The greater things that God has for us as a church are dependent upon God's ability, determined by our level of responsibility, which is further developed by our teachability and our availability as a church. The idea of greater things is not so much about us, though. It is far more about Jesus and Jesus accomplishing his plan and his purpose in us and through us so that we may make much of him, that we may make much of him and make him known to the valley and beyond. God has given us much as a church, and it is a humble blessing. It is said to whom much is given, much is required, but we must continue to be found faithful as his good stewards. That is the greater thing that we must ultimately do. How do we do that? We get ready. We get ready. We stand ready. As a church, we prepare by prayer and by vision casting. Change is a constant in our life. Things are always changing, yet we often resist it. We often cringe or, or even grumble when, when things change, especially if they're not of our doing and out of our control. 
Our life's existence is filled with change, but we serve a creator who changes not. He is the same he was yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow in the future. Unchanging, immovable, everlasting. Circumstances change, but calling is always consistent. That is a principle the Lord has been reminding me of lately, as there have been several areas with this reality being observed in my life and the life around me. I've recently been sharing that, uh, that principle, that statement, circumstances change, but our calling is always consistent with our staff, with our, our ministry teams, uh, community group leaders, deacons, and, and even some, some of our partner uh, organizations where I've had an opportunity to, to share a devotion with them lately to encourage or challenge. There's been a number of themes of change. We're changing as a church. The, Church is growing and changing. We've seen visitors uh, come, guests come every single Sunday throughout the summer. Uh, and God is continuing to do a great work there. And, and so we change the, the dynamic of services and, and various aspects of the ministry to, to account for, for that growth. There's personal changes. When, when I take a look at, at our staff team, uh, there's been a number of changes just recently in the last several weeks. Children going off to college, uh, loved ones uh, passing away, grown children and grandchildren moving away, babies being born, at least one baby. Uh, Miss uh, Kelly's uh, baby was born over the summer. And so there's change within our, our staff team, things that are going on that we have to adjust and, and, and get accustomed to and, and embrace. Race. And there's change within our partner organizations as well. Uh, there, there's changes within our, our missions partners where, where vital key team members that have been a part of a ministry team for a long time have gone uh, on to another country and another city uh, to do a, a great work. The, the passing away of a, of a great ministry leader on another one of our partner teams. Uh, of course, there's the, the, the war in Ukraine that has brought change to that partner ministry. And even here locally, internal changes Structure changes, staff changes uh, that, that bring about challenge, that bring about uncertainty, that bring about opportunity for God to do more and greater things. One critical way to glorify God through major change is to keep the ultimate outcome, fulfillment of God's mission, at the forefront throughout the change and transition that we may experience. As Pastor Matthew and I discussed and prayed for God's direction about this morning, today and the following Sunday, next Sunday, the occasion for me to share God's word today for a practical reason became clear. As I prayed about it, uh, that, uh, that, that God would lead for God's direction for this to be sort of a primer message for what is to come next week. I am known uh, to say the imperative phrase, make it so, hence the, the sermon title today. The staff knows uh, that when I say this, it means I've given a blessing or instruction, or made an agreement for action. Our deacons and our leadership teams know that if they ask me a question, uh, seek direction, or present a plan, even offer to help with something, and I reply with make it so, it means there is clarity. There is clarity to act accompanied with the expectation of accountability and responsibility. It's the Michael Miller version of get her done. Uh, the valley version of carpe diem or seize the day. In fact, my uh, meetings, miss meetings, or make it so meetings. As much as I'd like to, as much as I'd like it to be, the phrase though, make it so, uh, is not original to me. 
And most people don't realize this at first because a lot of you all fill your minds with such worldly things as football uh, instead of science fiction and literature. If you are the former group, I pray for you regularly, especially in the fall. If you're the latter group, well, you probably know that make it so is also an expression of the great Captain Picard. If the fictional Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the USS Enterprise, Star Trek The Next Generation, can say this, and the crew dutifully responds, carrying out their orders, exploring the galaxy, defending the Federation, etc. If Pastor Michael says this, and the staff carries out their tasks, albeit with an eye roll, gulp, or sigh, the deacons carry out their ministry with a smirk, or an accidental text emoji middle finger. Jeff Raleigh. Yeah, that happened once. Dear, sweet Jeff Raleigh, and he will never live it down. He's been waiting for a sermon where, where that comes up, and this was it. If Captain Picard and I can say this, and things happen, how much more so when God says, make it so? If we know our Bible and understand theology correctly, we can be sure that God was the first to say, make it so. And the universe was created. The earth was established and man was created all by his word. The Bible is full of examples of God essentially saying, make it so. When giving instruction, casting vision, sending and directing those who follow after him. One such example is Nehemiah. Nehemiah underwent a change too, an unexpected, unforeseen change from what he was doing, what he thought his life was, even who he thought he was given his role. When we take a brief dive into the study and application of Nehemiah, you know what, you know what one of my favorite things is about him? First, before I, I tell you that, know that this is a book pastors love. We love to read from it teach it, use it uh, for, for a reminder and encouragement of how God works in, in our practical life and, and ministry and leadership. Numerous books and devotions uh, have been uh, written about uh, the, the life of Nehemiah. One of my favorites is the Nehemiah Code, one of several in O.S. Hawkins, uh, the uh, code series of devotional studies. So my favorite thing, Nehemiah. He wasn't a pastor. He was a regular guy, a layman. He was not a priest, Ezra and Eliashib were. He was not a prophet, Haggai and Zechariah were. He was not a missionary, he was not an evangelist, he was not a politician, he was not a king, he was not uh, a motivational speaker, he was not a teacher, he was not a shepherd, he was a cupbearer to a foreign king. Nehemiah is one of the greatest inspirational stories ever told because of how God chose to work through the life of a regular guy, an ordinary man, to use him to accomplish a great work for his name's sake. Nehemiah's story is an encouragement and challenge to us. Nehemiah's story can be your story. When God gives a burden and you have belief, God can bring about a greater thing when he says, make it so. Our response is to make it so. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to take a look at Nehemiah chapter six, 
verse 15 and 16. These two verses kind of serve as the, as the launching pad and the, the summary verses for what we're walking away with here today. Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. When our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And may God bless the reading of his word today. You may be seated. Before anything else, one quick note that isn't at all interesting or ironic, Elul is the sixth month in the Hebrew calendar and the last month of the Jewish yearly cycle occurring in our August or September. Certainly, this is a word for such a time as this. Throughout the Bible, we see that God finds his servants in surprising places. A desert herdsman, God used to become a master shipbuilder of the greatest sailing vessel to survive the greatest flood the world has ever known. An innocent boy, a betrayed sufferer in an Egyptian dungeon, a terrified farm worker, and a terrified farm worker hiding behind a closed door, a young shepherd on the hills of Bethlehem, Raised, to prominent, raised in prominence and plenty, such men did not begin so. But with Nehemiah, it was different. His story opens in the luxurious surroundings of a court of a Persian king. It is a dramatic narrative which exemplifies obedience and demonstrates heroism, encourages prayer, emphasizes partnership, and inspires confidence. It directs our attention to God's sovereign plan and how he chooses to see it carried out through the life of a willing servant. Nehemiah lived 2,500 years ago, and he wrote, a book, he wrote the book on rebuilding and how to mobilize people. The great authors and leadership gurus of today, like John Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni, and George Barna, all guys who I read, have modern and masterful strategies and solutions for leadership. And, reference, and they all reference the story of Nehemiah and the great application it holds for how God works in the life of one person to accomplish his great promise and plan. Chronologically, this is the last of the historical books in the Old Testament. However, it is not located at the end of the Old Testament, but rather with the history books because it doesn't convey so much a prophecy so much as it tells the story of how God worked in the life of his people before the silent period came leading up to the birth of Christ. Nehemiah and Ezra were contemporaries. The two books that bear their name have consistency and overlap and some shared authorship. Ezra was a scribe and priest, unable to, to serve for a long time in the temple during the Babylonian captivity. God used him as a great reformer and revivalist, paving the way for Nehemiah about 15 years later. Ezra's work is also described within Nehemiah in chapter 8, where we see him read the law aloud to the assembly of people. Nehemiah's story unfolds against the backdrop of the Babylonian captivity. The holy city of Jerusalem was leveled and decimated. The temple was demolished. The wall of the city was broken down and its gates burned. The leading Jews were taken away as captives to Babylon. And once there, the psalmist says they were in deep despair. After several years, the Persians broke the Babylonian supremacy and allowed some of the Jews to return home and begin the rebuilding process of their temple, of the city. 
but the magnitude of the task caused them to give up over time. Years passed. The city walls, still broken down and burned, were in dire need of rebuilding. Enter Nehemiah, still in exile, with a comfortable job complete with benefits in retirement, a trusted right hand of his boss, the king. Nehemiah's message to us across the centuries is plain and powerful. God is always at work, and God uses his people to accomplish his plan when we are responsive and ready to be used by him to make it so. Nehemiah was actually the third great leader in the restoration of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel led the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem, as seen in Ezra chapter two, and survived the rebuilding of the temple. Almost 80 years later, Ezra came with the second group of Jews, bringing sweeping reforms through his ministry of God's word. Nehemiah receives word of the deteriorating conditions and lack of progress in Jerusalem. He was burdened by God, and after receiving permission to address the situation, he provided the kind of leadership desperately needed. His roots were anchored deep in the faith of God. It is often said that there were three types of people in this world. Those who don't know what's happening, those who watch what's happening, and those who make things happen. Nehemiah clearly falls into the third category. Whereas the book of Ezra deals with the heart of people and worship, Nehemiah deals with walls and everyday work. The book of Nehemiah brings God into the everyday life affairs of, of our lives. This is but one message this morning, not a sermon series. And so we only have a few minutes to examine and embrace the challenge here. If we glimpse the entirety of the book of Nehemiah, we find a back and forth flow of Nehemiah's action and God's activity. Nehemiah's action and God's activity. Nehemiah doesn't sit on the bench, church, and feel sorry for the situation back home. He doesn't stand on the sidelines uh, and, and feel in, inadequate. He doesn't spectate from the stands thinking, well, I'm content, but it doesn't affect me. Someone else more qualified can do the work. No, he strategically jumps in to God's plan with passion and purpose, trusting God and his faithfulness to equip and enable Nehemiah and the work along the way. We must do the same. Some of you today may be struggling with the question, how can I be a part of doing work for the Lord? Maybe there is sin. Maybe there is the weight of illness or a family hurt. We have just been through a pandemic, which in many ways still has a, a hangover effect, a lingering effect on, on our lives. Parenting and relationships have been strained. The economy is in upheaval. Uh, there's issues with schools, and, th and there seems to be an uncertainty and threat of violence every time we turn around. There's a lot of distraction and noise to, to punch through, and, and many feel paralyzed by all this and end up doing nothing. The enemy is causing doubt and distraction, depression, disobedience. The challenge today is that we are called to do something, to do greater things for the Lord. As a survey today, so jumping around a bit, not verse by verse, let's take a look at what Nehemiah did to make it so. 
The first thing that we should notice when God gives a make it so vision is that God readies us through our vocation to accomplish his work. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one through four and verse 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech you, may, you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servants successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. We see Nehemiah's response uh, in, in these verses to the situation. And we also are, are told by scripture what uh, his vocation was, what he was doing. And God calls him within that uh, to do a greater work. And we see Nehemiah do something first. We see that we are to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord when being called to make it so. Nehemiah, an ordinary man who found himself in the crosshairs of a divine appointment, his belief in God allowed him to be able to see this burden and respond in faith. Nehemiah gives us a timeless example of how God can make somebody out of nobody. The story reveals what God can do with a person who yields his life to the will of his father. The testimony of Nehemiah removes any excuses that we tend to offer regarding our own inadequacies or inabilities. The message comes in loud and clear, church. If God can use Nehemiah, he can also use you to accomplish great things for God. The second thing we see from this passage is that we are to serve the Lord. We see Nehemiah clearly doing that. Today, we have largely lost sight of what qualifies us uh, for the role of serving the Lord. We get the crazy and ungodly idea in our head planted by the, the deceiver, the liar, Satan, that we are not good enough, need to be like someone else, need to be better somehow, and then we will serve God. Popularity, connections, personality, experience, these have all replaced the necessary characteristics that shine in the life of this ordinary man. The missing qualification that makes an ordinary person extraordinary is character, that is, godly character. Jeremiah chapter five, verse one says, roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and look now and take note and seek in her open squares. If you can find a man, if there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. God is looking for someone that's available and to be used by him uh, that is seeking after God's heart. God's qualifications for service are vastly different from ours. Consider this history lesson for just a moment. There were brilliant men, by the world's standards, who were alive, who were living during the time of Nehemiah. Aristophanes was stirring people with his brilliant plays. Plato was influencing a generation of students. Socrates was brilliantly defining his philosophy. Yet none of them 
were called up and selected by God to lead the Jewish people in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. God was looking for a servant after his own heart who believed that God was capable of doing great things through him. The Apostle Paul gives insight into God's choice for the kind of person who can make a difference because of serving him in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God." Church, we are to surrender to the Lord as well. The creator of all things chooses ordinary people like pliable clay are molded in his hands to confound the wise and wonderful of the world because of the the wonder of God, the wonder of their surrender of the will and way of the Lord. To find ourselves seeking, serving, and surrendering to the Lord like Nehemiah, we must abandon our comfort zone. Comfort zones. We all have them. Those areas of life from which we seldom, if ever, like to venture. I have many comfort zones. As soon as I start to dwell in one too long, I always find God calling me out of it. And guess what? I don't like it very much. There are two favorite verses in scripture that are very near and dear to my heart uh, that challenge and encourage along these lines. Proverbs chapter 21, verses one and two. The king's heart is like channels of water, a river of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. One of the interesting things about the word skilled there in Hebrew is that it has the context of not so much the the talent, but the worthiness uh, of that individual performing that skill. There's a very treasured personal Dr. Falwell story associated with that verse for me, and I recently shared it uh, with a friend who's who's going off to college. God can use each of us where we are, what we are doing in our jobs, in our workplaces, in our everyday life to accomplish great work from him. We just need to be willing to make it so. The second area uh, from the story of Nehemiah that we need to uh, identify is that God raises up volunteers to advocate for his work. We see this in chapter two, uh, verse eight, 11 through 12, and, and 17 and 18. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was upon me. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except for the animal which I was riding. So he was he was almost alone. He had a few individuals with him. He was going to pursue and see what what God wanted for him to do. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build so that they put their hands to the good work. We see here the results of prayer. 
Nehemiah prays. I'll get to this more at the very end of the message, but in the first chapter we see pretty much immediately uh, Nehemiah responds to the situation by going to the Lord in prayer in chapter one. He doesn't react hastily. He doesn't try to, uh, out of his own human drive or ability to fix anything, he pauses and he prays to seek the Lord in that way. And there's a responsible pursuit that then Nehemiah follows out of that prayer. With his burden heavy and desire strong, he has a strategic course uh, of action after he prayed that would take him along the path for accomplishing the greater things that God had for him. And we see Nehemiah form a reaction plan as well to the work that God was calling him to do. Nehemiah volunteered. No one ordered him. No one pleaded with him. He was brought the news. He had the burden. He went before the king. He asked for for the help and the blessing. He goes to Jerusalem. He forms this plan. uh, And and he does a a work as God is directing him. His timing and and his guidance was provided by the Lord. The good hand of the Lord was upon him. But it required his active participation to make it so. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The third area in the story of Nehemiah that we need to take a look at to understand when God says make it so is that God reveals vision that leads to the action of his work. If we go back into chapter two, some of the verses we just read, 11 verse 18, we see uh, this plan unfold and we see what, what Nehemiah is doing and he has uh, the, the need for reconnaissance. Before he goes about the reconstructive work of rebuilding the wall, he does some reconnaissance. If you notice, though, God did not detail and dictate the vision to Nehemiah plainly. In his creativity and ability, God had given him already Nehemiah formulated a plan out of his time of prayer that accomplished God's will. It was not a reckless plan, but intentional. It was an intentional one that encouraged others to join him. God didn't start by saying, this, you know, go here to start at this gate. Use those bricks and the specific things and tools in which to be able to accomplish that. Sometimes God is detailed and specific, as was the case with Noah, building the ark. If God was telling me to to build a giant ship to house my family and two of every animal to survive every flood, you better believe I'd want God to be very specific. But here, and in a lot of other other instances, God casts a vision, God gives a burden, uh, and and calls us to action to carry out uh, the work that he has for us to do. And that means that there's an understanding recognition. Nehemiah recognized that the hand of God had been on him guiding and directing, and even in the midst of mocking and challenge that uh, sometimes comes from some who believe the work could not be done, he recognized God's hand in the work. God had established a leader, giving a vision, sanctioned the ability to carry out the mission with the favor of the king, and was even provided the means for the resources needed for rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah had a resolved response. Those initial few who were with Nehemiah caught the vision as he laid out a plan and they were willing to partner with him in the action of his work. You don't see hesitation or capitulation from those who joined Nehemiah. There was faith and resolution. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. 
The next thing that we see in the story of Nehemiah is that God rallies a vanguard to advance his work. He raises up volunteers, but then he rallies a vanguard, people who are gonna lead the way, take ownership uh, and, and take responsibility for that, the first line of defense. It starts with the few in chapter two and grows to the entire remnant that is left there in Israel, uh, getting uh, involved in, in Nehemiah chapter three. We're not gonna read all of chapter three, nor do we have time to unpack the significance of the gates and some pretty cool gospel connections there in chapter three. That's a sermon for another day. What we can learn from this passage is the different ways God uses people and their roles to accomplish his work. The priests, the heads of the households there in Jerusalem, families known for different trades and skills, temple servants, nobles, everyone had a part to play in Nehemiah's plan. The plan had different assignments. People had a part and were commissioned to do certain projects. The plan was action-oriented. Everyone had a task and a tool and a time frame in which to work. The plan involved accountability. There was ownership and inspection. I always say, people don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. Nehemiah wasn't constantly involved in the work being done, following up. Nehemiah was constantly involved in the work being done, following up and encouraging and advising. He was on the ground uh, with the people helping to rebuild the wall. And one other thing from this, this passage that we need to keep in our minds is that the plan was attacked. With this last point, I love Nehemiah's resolve. Generally, ridicule is the first method the enemy tries to dissuade and discourage us from God's call and plan. When we are doing a work for the Lord, at times when the going gets tough, we need to remember that what was true here for Nehemiah, that here early on, uh, he, he will encounter a challenge and, and we will too. I love his response uh, to the resistance and the doubt. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right or memorial in Jerusalem." God's plans are gonna run into opposition, but we can stand strong uh, in the midst of that. Nehemiah's stance was strong, and God was indeed with them. God used Nehemiah to rally a weary and demoralized remnant to realize a vision and work together to accomplish greater things. The last point, God requires us to press on to achieve victory. There's going to be challenge, there's going to be conviction, and there's going to be needed commitment to press on in the work that, that God calls us to. Those, those three things are the, the takeaways of this last point. God is going to require us to press on in the work uh, that he has for us to do. Nehemiah teaches us many important attributes about life, leadership, laboring for the Lord, and, and even legacy. As we respond to God's call, carry out his vision for greater things, there's another important reminder. We must reject adoration for the accomplishment that, that we might achieve and voice God's power and provision, giving him the glory. We need to reject any adoration that might come on our part. We see Nehemiah do that. Uh, he gives us an example a critical observation to make uh, with the story of Nehemiah. 
There's one other critical observation as we wrap up, and I started with it. We see it in the first chapter of Nehemiah, that we must respond to God's call to action with prayer, as Nehemiah did. With prayer, as Nehemiah did. Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In chapter one, two, four, five, and twice in chapter six, we see Nehemiah pause and prioritize prayer. He knew what we often forget is that we have access to the throne of God, and God desires our prayers. It is through the power of prayer where we see God work great things. Why am I wrapping up with this? Well, in, in just a few moments, we're going to have a specific time of, of concluding prayer uh, to, to pray and dedicate uh, the things that God has coming before us and the things that we need to do to make it so. Prayer needs to precede our participation in God's plan and invite God's power. Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15 through 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Church, may, may this be our story. As we, as we head into a time of prayer here in just a few moments, uh, I first want to bring us to the, a place of, of inventory and, and invitation. I call it that for, for, for two reasons. Because for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to make an honest evaluation of our situation. What are we doing? Where are we? The field? The bench? The stands? We need to take personal responsibility, search the Lord's direction, and then strategically get involved in making it so. This means we might have to get out of our comfort zone, church, embrace some changes and execute God's plan. Maybe God is calling us to, to serve greater than we've ever done before, give greater than we've ever given before, or go in ways we have not gone before. This means we also need to be living rightly before the Lord so that we can be used effective life today as you're, as you're hearing this message and, and the challenge to, to be ready, to get ready, to make it so. If there's an area in your life that you need to surrender and examine, I encourage you in the next few minutes to, to take time to do that. Now is the time uh, to get right with the Lord. There's another first step though for some of you. Some of you might be saying, Pastor, I, I don't know about all this. Friend, you, you may understand vision and, and leadership and even being a part of something uh, greater than, than yourself and accomplishing a great work, but it has lacked something for you, something eternal. Another important thing about Nehemiah is that he portrays Christ in his ministry of restoration and the rebuilding of walls because that's exactly what Jesus do, does. He rebuilds uh, broken things. Just as Nehemiah restored broken walls, Jesus' whole purpose is to seek uh, and save the lost. Restore those who are broken and lost to himself. God promised to send us a savior for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that savior is Jesus Christ. And you can know him 
today. He wants to know you. And you can. God faithfully accomplished this and did so with a detailed list of specifications. God was very detailed in his plan to bring about salvation. John 3 verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We must confess our sins and profess Jesus as Lord and we will be saved. If that is you today. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him today and join him, join Jesus. You can be a part of the greater things that he has for you to do. At the very end of the service, some of our deacons that will be down here in front and, and would love to pray with you, would love to talk with you further about how you can take that next step. If there's a burden in your life or if there's, a, if there's an area that you just wanna be prayed for to be challenged to, to make it so for God, uh, come at the end of the service and, and they would love to pray for you. Church, for God's glory and fulfillment of his will for us, it's time. It's time to get ready. It's time for the greater things that he has in store for us. And it's time to, to make it so. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this great word. Today we say, here I am, Lord. Take my life, Lord. Make it yours. God, use us uh, in, in a mighty uh, and powerful way uh, for your glory and for your good works in us, Lord that you've already established, Lord. Help us to, to find ourselves uh, ready to, to be a part of that uh, in a new and an awesome way, Lord, so that we can, it can be said of us, Lord, that we made it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.